they were advertising for women in regional areas to be trained as broadcasters. And anyway, I was one of two people to be accepted. It was rather difficult actually to communicate at first because I'd been out in the bush for all those years, so I didn't see anybody and you lose the art of communication. But it did come back and they funded me to fly around the Northwest interviewing women on pastoral properties. I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville. In today's podcast, I sit down with author Elizabeth Kempster. I met Elizabeth on our first visit to Chartist Towers. We sat down over a cup of coffee and she started telling me her story. I was captivated by what she was telling me and drawn in to how beautifully she told the stories. Even the most tragic ones, she told them with such calm. I really enjoyed this chat with Elizabeth and I hope you do too. This episode of Brave was recorded across the lands of the Bindal, Woolgarugaba and Gujala people. The Community Information Centre pays respects to the elders past, present and emerging. So you arrived in Australia what year? Uh, 1969. <clears throat> Sorry, 1968, beg your pardon. My husband always wanted to come to Australia. Yeah, and you talk about that as a 10-pound POM That's deal. That's right. What is that? Well, that was, um, that was sort of the administration fee, I believe, that the Australian government encouraged people from the UK to come and settle in Australia to increase the population. And um, that was a scheme. I'm not sure how many years it went on, but we took advantage of it. We landed in Sydney and we went to some car auctions and bought a second-hand short wheelbase Land Rover. And um, it was pale blue because it was the next naval vehicle. So we called her Bluebell and we bought some camping gear and we set off. And um, our first night, we followed the Snowy River Mountain Scheme and we found a little um, isolated spot in a valley and we decided to camp there. And um, as we were sort of getting our camping ready, suddenly the sun fell out of the sky because there's no twilight here. It takes an hour and a half to two hours for the sun to set in the UK. Um, But so that was quite a surprise. So what was life like then? From then on in, where did you head? We drove all the way up. We went up the Gold Coast and the previous year there'd been a cyclone activity So, and it was pretty devastating to see the, um, you know, the the coastline wasn't what we anticipated it to be. And we got to Brisbane and um, then we decided to head inland and then we turned north and... Went through Ipswich, Hewenden, Winton, um, and one night we decided to camp in a hotel. So we stopped at this little place called Kainuna, and the hotel walls were Hessian bags hanging down, and the small rickety double bed, when we got into it, we were covered with Gidgee bugs or stink beetles, as they're also known by. Well, I just couldn't stand that. So we headed off again 
and um, got to Cloncurry and met a, um, an ag representative there and we asked if he knew of any jobs in the area and he said yes, um, at Fort Constantine. So we started work there. I was the housemaid and Ian was the cowboy. So we stayed there for six months. Um, Ian was invited to uh, to be the camp cook. They were going to drive drove some cattle into um, into Cloncurry, and um, it would take a few days. Um, and I perked my ears up and I said, "Oh, can can I come along?" Because I really wanted to to join in. And the head stockman said, oh, no, we haven't got any spare saddles. I knew that wasn't true, but it was his way of saying no women allowed, you know, in the, in the uh, mustering camp. So I said, well, I'll ride bare back. So <laughs> they allowed me to go for half a day and I rode out for half a day and then had to retrace my s- steps back to the homestead for the night. My bottom was so sore, but... I didn't let on, of course. Um, so we decided to go up to Normanton. We were going to go to Cairns, Townsville, back through Charters Towers and then carry on down south to to go across the Nullarbor. So when we got to Normanton, I felt so ill. I was sure I had cancer. I couldn't even drink a cup of tea without throwing up and feeling so terrible. And it was a growth, but it wasn't a, it wasn't cancer. It was it was Zach, my firstborn, and um, I, I was so ill, so I wasn't able to enjoy the the trip. Unfortunately, I had to lie down with my head on Ian's lap, and um, we got to Kingunia, which is on the South Australian border, and um, there was uh, this sort of pub with the swing doors, like a Wild West. Um, pub and out rushed this little wiry man with a big buxom woman brandishing a broom chasing him out of the pub and um, that did put a smile on my face. I don't know what happened but anyway, it was rather comical um, and we got on the pl- a train and um, we got to Perth and then Ian said... Um, we need to settle down and so he went looking for a property in the southwest and we bought a mixed farm in Boyet Brook and we sold our properties in Jersey which at that time was a, a depressed market so we kind of gave those away and but then the following year the market crashed and so we couldn't make the repayments um, on well, Ian had decided he wanted another property, so we couldn't make the repayments on both properties. Um, so we decided to go up north and fortunately um, we were able to get jobs on, on sheep and cattle stations, starting off on the Murchison. When we went there, they'd been in drought for years and then after we got there, the rain came and it flooded and we um, were isolated in our little cottage, but it... it once the rain subsided, the country looked absolutely magnificent and so the owners decided to sell. So we moved on to Manfred, which was further north, um, and we stayed there for must be six months or more and then um, the 
general manager who used to fly around the properties, he called in one day and... Um, was it that the station that you left eventually mm. because you had to leave because of Ian's drinking? Yes, he called in and he sort of uh, was very apologetic and said, I'm sorry, but this is a dry station and we found bottles around the around the, the various um, windmills and uh, areas and so we're going to have to let let you go or let your husband go. Um, and so we went to Geraldton and Ian had an interview for a property up on the uh, Wandergy station, which is where we, um, in the upper Gascoigne, where we spent the next oh, 10 years. And um, fortunately, he... Um, we were happy there. Life was very, very busy, very full on. Uh, we couldn't sleep inside because it was like sleeping in an oven. So we used to sleep outside on stretcher beds. But even then it was very difficult to sleep because there'd be continual horizontal lightning all around. And it would just, we'd never get a drop of rain. It was just horizontal lightning, which would flash all the time. And but it was a great experience and I did grow to love the bush very much and the, and the boys were free and easy like I had been when I was young and um, it was a good lifestyle. But unfortunately the grog had got hold of Ian. He, he used to, when I was going out with him, he always had a bottle of rum under the seat of his car and I, it didn't really sort of strike me as... Well, I, I just thought it was just normal. Because um, it was your first true love. So it you, was. You didn't know any different. I didn't know any different, no. He wouldn't admit that he was an alcoholic and um, unfortunately it just got to the stage where I couldn't cope with it anymore. So we separated. Ian went a couple of hundred miles south and... Um, he begged and pleaded me to come back over the pedal radio. And so I said, well, we'll meet in Carnarvon and we'll see, we'll discuss it. And of course I took the boys um, to Carnarvon and um, couldn't find him anywhere. Anyway, he was drunk in the pubs, one of the pubs there. And I, I thought, well, I just can't, can't, can't do this anymore. And um, I went back to the... Wandergy and stayed there until trying to work out what I was going to do. Because by uh, this stage you had four boys, didn't I you? I had four boys at this stage, yes. So um, one day I heard on the ABC um, they were advertising for uh, women in regional areas for 45 women across Australia to be trained as trainee broadcasters. And um, anyway, I was one of two people to be accepted in in Geraldton, which was wonderful. It was such a relief and I really enjoyed the job. And you had never done anything like, like this that before. before? No. You never thought of doing anything like this before? Um, not really. I think, you know, you got married and you had your children and they take priority over any ambitions that you might have um, for yourself. 
it was rather difficult actually to communicate at first because I'd been out in the bush for all those years, you know, so I didn't see anybody very often and you lose the art of communication. But uh, it did come back and at the end of the six months training, the ABC wanted to know that it had been successful and they funded me to fly around the Northwest interviewing women on pastoral properties and it was a great success. I, I'd been there and lived there and done that. So they opened up to me and, and the interviews were just wonderful. And they were broadcast from Sydney that year, 1986, I think it was. So that was good. And then the local TV station offered me a job after that, which suited me down to the ground. But Ian used to make my life a misery. So I thought, I have to get away. And so um, I filed for divorce and um, told my parents about it. And, and my mother helped me um, to come over to Queensland. The reason we came to Queensland was that at the GTW 11, the, the television station, they'd offered me um, one of their, their, their clients was Bedpost, which was very big in WA and they offered me a franchise in uh, Ipswich actually um, for a dollar if I was to come over and help start the business, which I, I thought that's a great opportunity. So I took it and we brought, we came over and um, we settled, we rented a house in Caralee, which is pretty. I was unpacking and I left my oldest son in WA and brought my three a younger son's over and um, Warren, the second one, he went to the garage and he'd seen his father light a barbecue many a time by pouring a bit of diesel on it. How old were your boys at this stage? Well, uh, he was 15, Brunt was eight and Adrian was six. And uh, so they were taking all the packaging out and burning it in the incinerator at the back of the house and... Um, Warren went to the garage and got a container of what he thought was diesel, but in fact was um, petrol, poured it on the fire and it was a huge explosion. The three of them got burnt. Warren had superficial burns to his hands. Adrian, my youngest, had burns from the knee down. But Grant, who was eight, he had 80% burns and 50% of those were third degree. That was the worst time in my life. Um, I ran, I, I read about it somewhere, I ran the, um, the shower and I put him under tepid water and his skin just peeled off like potato peelings. I, I'd rung the Ipswich Hospital but they, well they were too slow in coming so I bundled the, the boys in the car and took them to Ipswich Hospital. They put Grant on a stretcher and um, covered him with kind of alfoil. Uh, and then took him into um, the Martyr in Brisbane. Yes, so that was um, my that mother. That was the start of the next part of your life. It was. was not a good start. No, that's right. And it right. was meant to be a fresh start for it you. It was meant to be a fresh start. Um, so you all of a sudden found yourself having to relocate closer to Brisbane to be near the hospital because th the next that's right. eight to ten months was spent in hospital with, with, Grant. with Grant. Yes. 
That's right. Um, what happened to your shop that you were just opening? Well, it was I'd, – I'd opened it. I had it um, – it was running, you know, starting a new business really. You need to be there full time and it doesn't warrant staff but I – you know, I just had to employ staff. I had to be with, with Grant, with my son. And my mother came over and looked after the, the other boys while I stayed um, in the hospital because they put him in a coma and for the first three or four weeks, I didn't know whether he was going to live or die. The, the risk of infection with such severe burns is so high that um, you just don't know what's going to happen. So it was, I didn't give a, a damn about the business um, at the time. It, so eventually, because I'd had to put staff on, it was very difficult to make a success of it at the beginning. And um, when the taxation bill came in, that was the last straw. So I declared myself bankrupt. I should have gone to the taxation department and asked for a payment plan, which I believe they do. But um, it, I was just the, the um, you know, constant worry of having to pay bills and the worry of grant. It was just uh, too much at the time. But anyway, I, they um, put me on as a consultant, which was good of them. And um, so I had employment and uh, moved to Brisbane to be closer to hospital because Grant, even when he was out of hospital, because with such severe burns, the contractors keep on um, need releasing, cutting and and regrafting. And this went on for years. Um, How many surgeries did he have? Oh, 120. He used to go to theatre twice a week. They take a little patch from his bottom. Um, that was the part that wasn't burnt. And, and stick it on here and there, on his chest. And he was burnt from under the chin, severely burnt his chest and, and torso. But, um, yes. Does he remember the accident? No, no, That's he so doesn't. Good. He doesn't. So what brought you to Charters Towers then? Well, my oldest son, Zach, who um, was a teacher and his wife, Kylie, is a teacher... They came to Charters Towers and strangely enough, Zach started at Distance Ed in Charters Towers, which is near Cloncurry where we started from in the first place. So he was a Distance Ed teacher to begin with and they built a house up here and this was their home and they had their two children. So when I retired, because in Brisbane I um, I'd started a, a business with Robbie, but when I retired from that... I thought, well, I'll come up to Charters Towers and I'll buy a house up here and then I can commute up and down visiting my families. And um, so I, I came up here and found a nice house. And, of course, compared to Brisbane, the housing here is half the price, you know, for mm -hmm. a, a lovely house. Um, so I'm very happily settled in my house. And one of your sons... Is a builder, is that right? That's right. Warren, my second son, is a builder and he came up and because it was an old Queenslander, it needed a lot, a lot of work. The bones were good but it needed a lot, a lot of work. So he came up and helped. Yes, so I have a lovely home due, thanks to Warren. And then my younger son, Adrian, he's um, 
he's in Brisbane and he's, um, he's now a superintendent of um, the Japanese uh, Resources Energy Company. But anyway, I digress. I, I came up here intending to go up and down and then a year after I was here, Zach, my oldest son, had four strokes in four months and he'd been diagnosed with Crohn's at 30 and had had 30 centimetres of bowel removed. But then this terrible uh, business of these strokes, he has um, uh, cerebral vasculitis, which is um, inflammation of the small blood vessels in the brain. And so, that was a bit of a journey for him getting that diagnosis. Oh, we it? took him, we didn't know what was wrong. Um, and he went to hosp- Townsville Hospital a few times and they they kept on sending him home. So we took him to Brisbane and um, nobody could make find out what was wrong with him. And uh, we came back and then he had another stroke. And then this time... He was under Dr. White in Townsville, who is absolutely, he is wonderful. He, um, he made the correct diagnosis because it's a rare condition. I think only about half a dozen or maybe a dozen people in Australia have it. So not many specialists, um, you know, have come across it. And he's English and he had seen this um, cerebral vasculitis where he'd been practicing in England. So he knew what was wrong. I mean, Zach couldn't walk, talk or move. And he was in hospital for four or five months. Kylie stayed in Townsville with him and I looked after my grandchildren here. And then we'd drive in on the weekends to see Zach and Kylie. And um, he's now at home and he has to have infusions regularly and um, he's on a huge amount of medication and um, he's with us, thank God. But um, yes, he's... Um, life-changing Life-changing, again. life-changing. You've had quite a few life-changing moments through mm. your life. Yeah. Some really great and some not so great. That's right. What's kept you going? How do you get through it? Ah, uh, well... I think when my faith, when when Grant was so seriously burned, I prayed an awful lot. And that sort of gave me the crux, if you like, or, you know, I felt that, I felt that there was that help, if you like, sort of, I don't know, it's just, um, I'm a Christian, I was brought up as a Christian and... um, um, I had a near-death experience and um, I was travelling down this long white tunnel and at the end was this huge enveloping warmth, light, so bright that you, dazzlingly bright, but I knew I was going to go either there or come back. Um, but if I went there, I wasn't frightened. I knew I was going to be safe, but I came back, of course. So I know there is something after life. So that's sort of, there's that creator, that, that, that strength of having someone, well, someone, not someone, a spiritual sense, if you like. Mm. And um, 
yeah, I guess that's it. And I come from strong, a strong family. My mother nursed my father through the war. He had double pneumonia and a collapsed lung. So she, she's a very strong per. She was a very strong person too. Um, so I guess I'm lucky to have inherited that. Mm. Mm. Your book, Memoirs of a Jersey Girl, is full of history from the World War to your life in 2020 and, and everything in between. Um, I love how you've kept so much history and there's so many photos and newspaper articles and stories through your book and I, it just makes me think that so many people miss that opportunity these days to keep that history I totally agree and it's just something that, you know, if there is an article I just put it in the drawer and, and I hadn't looked at it till COVID came actually and I pulled all these photos and, and clippings and, and thought, well, I'm going to put this together. Yes, and everybody, every family has a story to tell, I'm sure. So it was only last year that you thought I might put this together in mm. a book? Mm. What was that process like? Because at the start of your book, there's a lot of thank yous there for the people who have helped put that together. Yes. For someone else out there who thinks, I have a story, I really think I want to share that. What's their process to go through to put it in a book? Well, I, I, I was fortunate in having all those old photographs because the book is kind of a photographic retelling of my life and I was very lucky to have all those photographs so I I just took them out and spread them on the floor and decided which ones I was going to use. I bought a printer and I put all these photographs in this little printer and saved them to a file and I started writing and as I wrote a chapter I would find the appropriate photos to go with it. And it kind of evolved. My daughter's-in-law, Chloe, um, she helped me when I went to Brisbane because the editor, Bronwyn Douglas, she was, she was brilliant. She crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and polished my writing. But, but I was sort of not computer illiterate, but um, I was not really comfortable with using laptops or computers very much. So... Um, Chloe had done a, um, her master's in um, education. So she'd, she'd had a lot of um, her assignments and things were kind of similar, you know, using the computer. So she showed me what to do. So anybody can do it, but you just need a bit of tuition, you know. And a bit of, bit of oomph, get and go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Thank you for spending the morning with me today, oh, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Where can people find your book? Um, they can find it at Mary Who's in Townsville, Stones Corner in Brisbane. They can buy it from myself if they want a signed copy. But it's also available through Amazon, Book Depository or Booktopia. Do you plan on staying here in Charters Towers? I do, Teresa. Well, I, I hope to be able to go up and down a little bit more often because... I've got a new grandson coming in November, so I have to I have to see these new new babies. <laughs> I love little babies. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Teresa. That was lovely.
Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.